Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. Thursday edition of Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. I'm Dan McLaughlin, and as always, keeping me in check, making sure I don't mess this all up. Colin Surrey, our producer. Colin, you're keeping me in check. I'm trying to get a little bit better on the clock. If I get over too long, this is on you. Okay, this is totally on you. You got to start yelling at me. I'll take all of the blame. Look, one, <laughs> one hour is not nearly enough time for what we're doing right here, Dan. Okay, all right. It's it's a jam packed show. We just got to do everything we can to get all the content in. Well, we already have a, a text six three six from the Air Comfort Service text line. Love Ricky and Kia. Love your show. Look forward to morning radio all work week. Thank you so much, Ricky and Kia. Is coming up on the show. Looking forward to that. He's turned out to be really a great friend. And when he played, you could understand, like many players, they're just so tunnel vision focused on what they have to do, especially a guy like Rick, who's trying to hang on as a position player after what happened with what he did as a pitcher. And uh, I've gotten to be very close to them and had some heartfelt conversations about what he went through. So we become close, and uh, I just love the guy. Love him. I, I I tell you what, I don't know if people think about this. If the Cardinals Hall of Fame is truly the Cardinals Hall of Fame, and it's about, you know, your memories that are conjured up by seeing Tommy Herr and John Tudor, David Freeze. Where's Rick Ankeel? I, I would look at it. I'd certainly, if he was on the ballot, I'd vote for him. And that's a personal vote because I think he meant a lot to a big part of a decade-long of uh, baseball here in St. Louis. He's such an interesting guy. When I want to ask him about playing with no fans. Uh, how do you motivate yourself to get ready for no fans in the stands? Do some players maybe reconsider retirement because of the situation they're currently in? And he tried to do that. Remember, he retired. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to try to come back as a pitcher and then got hurt again. So all that is coming up with Ricky and Keel, and hopefully you'll enjoy that. All right, let's start with baseball. Yesterday, Major League Baseball rejected the 114-game proposal that was given to them by the players. And that's no surprise. I knew that would happen, and you probably should have as well. What I don't understand is why this is being treated as the negotiations for a new collective bargaining agreement. This isn't a new CBA. That isn't up until after next season. Have we forgotten that this is a pandemic? Because it just seems like we're talking about economics. So let's not forget why we are all in this spot. This is a pandemic. And yet here we are hearing about how to maximize the money on both sides. The best comment I have heard on this topic is the COO of the Baltimore Orioles, Jeff Angelos. So I think there's, I do feel optimistic about that too. And I also think there's another word with an O. I think there's an obligation that we have to do that. Um, a lot of people, I mentioned earlier, all the people that work for clubs, um, this isn't just about players and partnership groups that, that own sports teams. This is about literally tens of thousands of people who rely and uh, are, are earn a living for their families who work for the clubs. And then all the companies that support that, the concession companies, security companies, all the different folks that go into it, the media companies, the broadcasters. A lot of people rise and fall if we um, put this together and have a season. So I, I am optimistic, maybe because I think we owe it to the to those people, and, and not to mention all the economic impact and tourism and, and so forth that sports creates, particularly baseball, because we're so voluminous in our games. But um, I am optimistic. I think the commissioner's offices are going to do everything they can, and I think the players are going to play. And there's no question we're going to do it with safety first, 
Um, we may not play that long of a season because the experts think that you don't want to be playing in November because of potential resurgence of the virus, the, uh, the COVID-19 virus. But I, I am very optimistic that that will happen. I trust in the commissioner's office and the Players Association to get it done. And um, it's the right thing. So we should put our um, interim issues aside and make an agreement and move forward. Thank you. Thank you. Well put. He said obligation. Yep, that's right. 100%. An obligation. He also said we owe it to the people. Yep, that one is right, too. Oh, he also said, quote, the right thing to do. Now, when have we uh, heard that in the last couple of weeks? An obligation. Owe it to the people. Right thing to do. I haven't. Not often, if at all. All I've heard is bickering over money. I haven't heard much about safety protocols. It's been about money. Again, this is a pandemic. This isn't a collective bargaining agreement. Get on the field. So looking forward, time is truly of the essence, and baseball is on the clock right now, this morning. This needs to happen now. If there's to be a season of 82 games, then it needs to happen probably by tomorrow or the end of the weekend, an agreement. It'll be June 5th tomorrow. That gives the players three to four weeks of spring training to begin a season in early July. If not, if it's going to be 50 games, then there's a little time. However, I won't forget what he said. Obligation. Owe it to the people. The right thing to do. Won't forget it. Jeff Passan sizes up this situation. One owner this week said, we're going to play baseball. And I think his perspective was more like, okay, if the union doesn't come to play here, we're just going to tell them this is what you have to do. We're going to set a schedule and you're going to abide by it. And in truth, Scott, there's nothing that the union can do about that in terms of say a strike no can't do it it would be an illegal strike it would be against the collective bargaining agreement it would be overturned immediately individual players going and saying i'm not going to do this if, if i was scheduled to make five hundred sixty three thousand five hundred dollars the league minimum this year you already cut that in half for missing half of the season and now you want to end up paying me a hundred eighty thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars to go out and play baseball great amount of money don't get me wrong but i'm not sure that young players want to do that the, the problem is the players backs are against the wall right now so that's the setting right now how about jesse rogers who's been all over this of espn maybe they don't have a lot of cash but here's the thing the players don't care a certain amount of players may not believe them but i think even if a majority do believe them they just don't care that's not on them to figure out meaning the players the owners have to figure this out ricketts mentioned in that article that They've already borrowed to get through part of this season. Well, maybe they need to borrow some more. So that's the divider. The players just don't care if the owners don't have cash, whether they believe them or not. So those are the players of now. What about the players of 2006? And I bring this up, the world champion Cardinals. I've had the opportunity to conduct town halls with former players throughout this time period on Zoom for Cardinals season ticket holders, sponsors, and employees. And they have been so much fun. I mean to tell you, they, they it's just been... So much fun, like a diversion to what's going on. It makes me feel like I don't even realize what's going on for the hour. After we're done, they go fast, and I just miss baseball. And last night, it was NLCS MVP Jeff Supon and World Series MVP of 2006 David Eckstein. Nice to hear players reminisce and actually talk about why this is a great baseball town. It, it is. I mean, everything you just said about within the fans, like when, when I stepped into St. Louis, we had all the history with, with going through at that time was my dad with his kidneys. And 
had so many people come up to me like, oh, I'm praying for him. How is he doing? Checking the health, checking the health of the family. It was more than just baseball. They took you in as one of their own. I think that was one of the, you know, like when you when you think about Cardinal fans, yeah, they're they're at the top of the list. They're at the best. And, and it goes back, you I mean, we kind of like skirted over it a little bit, but like when Albert came back, you know what I mean? Just being a St. Louis Cardinal fan that I am, even though I work for a different order, I am a St. Louis Cardinal fan and watching what, how they receive Albert, you know, that that's what a true St. Louis Cardinals fan. And I always say this, um, the game kind of makes you a little bit jag, jagged as being a fan, like once you start playing. But I had the opportunity to be there in 2011, um, game six, and then had the opportunity to go the first pitch. But then I went the rest of the game and stood up and um, got to be in the box. And I got to be there and watch that and watch David Freeze do what David Freeze did that night and the fans there. And I, and I say this in, whenever I have the opportunity to talk, it brought the fan right back in me. And that was the first time. And so, like, that's what Cardinal baseball is. It brings out the true fan and the true love of the game from anybody. And that's what I love about it. So well put. How about how about for you, Soup? Thanks, Zach. You really set the bar right now. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck on that one. <laughs> um, I played for seven teams, <laughs> I think. And three of them I played for twice. And I can honestly say I loved them all. But I haven't loved a team, a city more than St. Louis. Um, when it was 140 on the field, maybe 120, you know, when I look back and I saw the grandfather in the third row teaching his grandson how to keep score, like that always stayed in my mind. And as opposed to another city that maybe uh, it's a dad and it's, a, and it's a son and they're kind of like heckling you. <laughs> Or booing you, you know, and it was just like a love. And I never saw them really go after anybody. Um, the the I, I loved coming back, not just for the game, but I mean, I loved going to Grant's Farm, one of those great places I used to go to as a player uh, to see all the people from the Cardinals cruise. Awesome people to see the rows. Uh, Greg and Mary Beth, you know, who I who I became friends with in, in 06. And it's like we never left. Like, thank you for remembering us. And uh, that means a lot to a player because we're kind of, and it was always appreciated, hard work and dedication. How cool is that to hear that from the NLCS MVP, Jeff Supon, the MVP of the World Series, David Eckstein. I just miss that. Actually talking about a love of the game and sports and something that just means so much to our community. Yesterday, we had Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com come on the show. He covers the minor leagues. And it got me thinking, we know that minor league baseball was going to be cut anyway. But yet, the way that some minor league teams and major league teams have not gotten together and have gone about releasing players and cutting them has been another PR disaster for the sport. For instance, players were getting paid 400 bucks a week, and the A's just did away paying for their minor leaguers. Here's Brian. The $400 per week that all minor leaguers were receiving across the game covered the months of April and May. And so as we got to the end of May, uh, MLB decided not to have a blanket policy going forward. Each team would set their own path. And so the Oakland A's, as you said, said, we're not going to pay our minor leaguers at all anymore. Washington Nationals said, we're going to drop the pay to $300. And the, the the 40-man roster players, Max Scherzer and the like, were so embarrassed about that, they said, you know, we're going to cover the extra 100 ourselves. 
And then a number of organizations like the Cardinals said, hey, you know, we're going to continue to pay. Although in the case of St. Louis, they said we're going to go on a month-to-month basis and evaluate as we go. But assuming the season gets going at some point and the revenues roll in, the Cardinals are expected to, you know, continue to, to pay their minor leaguers. That's the positive. The negative side is there's a lot fewer minor leaguers to pay across the game because, again, in sort of a unilateral effort across the game, uh, uh, most organizations dropped a significant number of players. In the case of the Cardinals, it was 33 uh, minor leaguers that received their walking papers, uh, and that was official late last week, but, uh, you know, it now came to light on uh on Monday night. Let's uh, let's be honest about this. Is the reduction in minor leagues going forward being short-sighted by Major League Baseball? I mean, all we hear from Rob Manfred is that he is trying to grow the game and bring in new fans. He wants to make sure that fans are introduced to the game and stay fans for life. Well, Commissioner, answer me this. So you're in town, and we this station goes to a lot of these minor league towns that we hear from daily on the text line. So you're a town that has a minor league franchise and a few players come through that eventually turn into major leaguers. Those fans follow that major leaguer in his career into the big leagues, and they want to support him. They will make that trip to their closest major league city to watch him play. So if you eliminate these jobs to save money and there's no player to follow or games to go to, are those fans going to be fans of the game in general? Are they going to go to that Major League City to watch? I would say no. Also, that town, whether there's a Major Leaguer going, and just happens to be in the minors, but a guy develops into a Major Leaguer, that town has supported baseball. It's a community event. By eliminating those teams, are you growing the game? Follow the money. That's what this is about. By the way, something that MLB may want to consider as they decide whether or not to play what if the other sports, they come back in the summer and make this a long-term thing? So the NHL, the NBA, they could come back this summer and say, you know what? We like this better. Let's start our leagues in December. Let's start it in December, avoid the NFL, avoid college football, which has got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Okay, that's five big events, marquee teams. The general sports fan is watching them. So why not? Their popularity continues to grow. The NBA, the NHL, they wouldn't mind going head-to-head with Major League Baseball. It's something to think about when we come out of this and if and when they play. And if it works, do they say, you know what, the hell with it. Let's start our seasons in December. We'll go head-to-head with baseball. This is baseball's time right now, and they're not on the field. The NBA is expected to approve a deal today that would have 22 teams at Disney and start play in late July. Adrian Wojciechowski of ESPN. The league essentially went with teams that were within six games in the standings of the eighth seed. Five of those teams were in the West. New Orleans, Portland, Phoenix, Sacramento, and the San Antonio Spurs. And then in the East only the Washington Wizards and now you have a tournament environment potentially where Zion Williamson and New Orleans could get into the postseason. Portland with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and perhaps a healthy Yusuf Nurkic, Zach Collins. Those teams will come back stronger. You know, and as one owner told me that they really believe that the 22 team format 
was ultimately the most compelling. Certainly it was more financially rewarding for teams and players than only bringing back the 16 teams, but the ability here for teams to play themselves into the postseason was a big part of this. Give me Zion. I want to watch him. I don't care if there's one person in the stands. I'd watch him shoot buckets and dunk. Guy is awesome. So the NBA and the NHL will try to get their season finished. How about the NFL? They're starting to hit a crucial time, potentially getting ready for their season. Tony Dungy was asked about the start of their season. I'm not sure how you do it, really, where we are now. I would not want to be making the rules and trying to figure this thing out. Uh, We can all go in with the best intentions, but my question would be, what is going to happen when the Rudy Gobert of the NFL tests positive in the second week of training camp? Then what, what, what happens? That, that's a question I, I don't think anybody's prepared to answer, and, and that's why I think it's going to be difficult to get started. There's inherent risk for all these players and teams. There's inherent risk for us coming into the station, going to get gas, going to the grocery store. You know, for instance, the Japanese League of Baseball, not sure you saw this, they had players quarantined since March. Empty stadiums that are continually sanitized, and yesterday, two of their players tested positive including the MVP from 2019. So while we hear so much about the economics of sports returning, NHL going into a playoff format, the NBA doing their format, the most important thing is still safety. And I'm not saying they won't all play, but this is still, Colin, going to be very, very extremely difficult to do. It's just a fact. And it's going to be living with the virus. And if they can do it, it'll be awesome. But at least these leagues are trying to get it done. There are so many moving parts, and we've talked about it ad nauseum almost. It's how you handle these positive tests. That is going to be the test of how well these leagues are able to run things smoothly. Because if you have to shut things down in the middle of your season, the way a lot of these timetables have been set, you're already running up against the clock for the next season. Right. For the NHL, for the NBA. You have to get this done correctly the first time. Air Comfort Service text line, the 847. Uh, just want to say how much we appreciate Ricky Ankeel. He has been kind and funny when we have met him. He belongs in the Cardinals Hall of Fame faux show. Not for sure, for show. <laughs> and by the way, love your show, Danny Mac. Thanks so much. Um, I get to work with some really prominent people in this sport. All my partners are, are big-time names in the sport, and all of them stop to sign autographs, stop to take pictures, have a kind word. I, I've not seen an uncomfortable situation with them with a fan, and I appreciate that. Me as a fan, I and I tell them, I say, hey, That's cool. That's cool that you stopped and signed for that kid or that family. I appreciate that. And Rick's one of the really good guys. We're going to come up and visit with him next. This is 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. And Peel out to deep right field. Has a chance to leave the ballpark. It's gone. A three-run shot for Rick and Peel back in the major leagues. One of my all-time favorite players to watch and to be a part of broadcast with and to uh, now just have the chance to talk to is former pitcher, outfielder, slugger, 
and uh, one of St. Louis's favorite when he was here in town a couple of different times as a pitcher and as an outfielder. And that's Ricky Ankeel, who is down in Florida at his home. Here we are in St. Louis. We're all dealing with the virus. We're all dealing with something that we miss, which is baseball. Rick, great to hear your voice. How are things going? Oh, they're good. Um, I can't complain. You know, I like you said, everybody's, you know, we've been quarantined. We've been this with Madada. I think just for me trying to look at it from a positive uh, viewpoint, I've got a chance to bond um, with my kids and family, I think, a little bit more than I would have if things would have been normal, so to speak. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is that I think this has completely changed the outlook for a lot of different players, uh, meaning they found out what a taste of retirement might be like. And now they're going to say, you know what? I love my kids. I love my wife. I love my in-laws, maybe. But this is going <laughs> to I want to get back out on the field and, and do what I know what to do, which is baseball. I really think it may change the mindset of some of these players. What do you think? I think you're exactly right. You know, I can tell you my experience. When I first stopped playing, I thought this is going to be the greatest thing ever. I'm going to fish. I'm going to golf. I got about into July of what it would have been of that season and realized this doesn't work. It's not what it's all cracked up to be. I need to go do something and be busy. This stinks. So I would think so. I yeah, agree. I think it's also about a purpose, right? You know, if you're a ball player or any professional athlete, you wake up, you work out, uh, you have your routine, and of course you love your family, and of course you want to be around your kids, but it's about that routine and purpose, and when that's gone and it's not you making that decision – it's kind of like retirement sometimes. It's got to be very, very tough. You think that's a, a fair assessment? I do. I, I absolutely do. I, I definitely think it'll make them appreciate the opportunity, everything that comes with it. You know how it is sometimes. I, I think you you just get into the dog days of summer and it's like, ah, oh, another game, another game. The playoffs are exciting. But you know, sometimes you can go through the motions, whether, whether you want to admit it or not. And something like this can just, I, I think, like you said, really open your eyes into what it's like to not to be able to have it. One of the best things for me working with you that you made me realize, and Jim Edmonds did it too, is watching you guys, not that it came easy, because being a professional player is extremely hard. You're just extremely gifted and the best in the world at what you do. But your appreciation for the actual game of baseball. So as we kind of look at this being taken away from us right now, what do you miss about the game of baseball from Ricky Ankeel's perspective? What is it about the game that you miss right now? Well, I just love watching the competition. Um, you mentioned routine. Well, even being on this side of it, routinely at night, I've always, I know exactly what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to watch the Cardinals or I'm going to watch another team that I like, maybe a pitcher matchup, whatever it is. But I got something to look forward to where now, it, you know, I've completely had to change that routine. So that's been different and not even from a professional baseball standpoint, but I miss watching my kids play Little League, which is, you know, got really exciting. And they're kind of getting into that fun stage where they're starting to love to compete. And then we could come home and watch a pro game and talk about the way those guys are doing it, how they're fielding the ground ball how they're leading off a first or whatever. And it was kind of something that we got to do together and experience together. And now, you know, without it, it's another one of those things where you look at and you're like, man, this it sucks not having it. Rick Ankeel is my guest. The state of Florida was one of the first states to open up. What What's it like down in Florida dealing with the virus? It's been a really long hurricane. I think as a Floridian, you're used to hurricane comes through and, you know, maybe a week afterwards, there'll be curfews. Uh, you might not have power, but it's just kind of a similar feeling. And obviously, this just feels like a really prolonged way. And then it's been interesting, you know, when you go out and everybody has a mask on, it just I feel like it feels awkward. 
even though it's the right thing to do, it's just it's just different. And I, and I just try to keep reminding myself that this is what it's going to be for now. And it's trying not to get wrapped up in it too much, but it's just going to be different. That's what it is. How do you think the players are, are dealing with this? And I know you still talk to a lot of players. How, how are they able to keep themselves sharp? For instance, if you're a veteran and you've made a lot of money, you've got a home gym probably, and you've got some access to things that the lesser players don't. So as you talk to these guys, how are they trying to stay busy and stay sharp if and when they get that call? I think it's been, like you mentioned, I think it's different for each guy, but uh, I've seen some funny things where guys were, I even Sean Doolittle, I see him doing walking squats, carrying his dog. Um, <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. That's it. They're just trying to uh, come up with ways to keep themselves strong. And, you know, I think fortunately for the guys, at least who are down here in Florida, you know, they do have somebody to play catch with and they can put a hitter in there and still be social distancing. And I know that they've kind of done some sim games, but done it in the right way. And then, you know, obviously for guys who don't have that access, I kind of feel bad for because when you look at uh, being a ramp up and get going and maybe there's going to be a shorter spring training, you know, are those guys at risk or behind the curve? So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. You offer great perspective on this, but coming back and if there is a short spring training, as you mentioned, how will position players be able to come back and then how do you think pitchers will be able to come back in in a short amount of time you mean like what what do i think the performance will be like a little bit of that and also when they're game ready just ready to play the game at a you know regular major league season game you know you think about it and i i feel like i don't know i think it's gonna be interesting i think honestly i think some guys will probably be okay and other guys they may struggle and, and they might not know until how they until you get out there one thing i think that is going to be interesting is no fans. You know, we've talked about this a lot, and, and I feel like, you know, as you get into the league, to the playoffs, the emotional uplift you get from being in that playoffs atmosphere is like nothing else. And I think even to start the season, right, the fans, the crowd, everything that, like, gives you that extra adrenaline isn't going to be there. So I'm interested uh, from a mental standpoint to see who can ramp their themselves up without the extra stimulus. How do you do that? What, what If you're playing a coach or a mental coach or part of a coaching staff, which you did in spring training, how do you get guys to be mentally sharp and ready and active, you know, and excited to play the game if there's no fans? Well, I think you got to go through the, the mental process of it and be like, look, these games count. You know, this isn't just fake games. You know, this is this is real and you need to dig in, put yourself in this killer mindset where you're out there and you're going to do whatever it takes to get that guy out or focus on getting a hit, whichever side you're on. You know, I always like to mention Max Scherzer because when you watch him, you can just see it, right? He's yelling at the hitters. He's yelling at himself. And not that other guys that are quiet aren't that determined or focused, but I think just for me, I'm looking at someone like him and saying, hey, you know, what What are you What are you telling yourself and how are you getting there? What are you doing? Because he seems to be able to elevate himself no matter what the situation is. It's Odd question here. If I'm talking to Ricky Ankeel as a 20-year-old phenom or I'm talking to Ricky Ankeel, father of two, and has been through Major League Baseball, I might get two different answers with this question. Do you think players understand the responsibility, and this is not a normal CBA, this is a pandemic you're trying to come back from and fans are just craving sports. 
Do you think they understand the responsibility and the importance of what it would mean to come back and play even at a reduced salary? I sure hope they do. I would think most of them do, right? Because everybody's dealing with the same thing of being mm-hmm. quarantined and you're listening to family who's missing this. And God, I can't wait to watch you guys play work. And I was just watching all the golf that just came on recently. I thought that was fantastic. I do too. Um, love seeing the competition. I honestly like that format better than I liked watching a normal golf tournament, to be honest. But that's me. Yeah. But I would think the way that they, you've seen everybody rally around. I mean, there's so many eyes watching it. And when you look at it, I guess you could look at it from any standpoint, but for spring hope. But not only that, I mean, there's, if, you know, these guys do get a chance to go out there and play, you're going to have so many more people watching the game, right? That, that's got to be exciting to know that you might be able to really grow the sport because there's not many other things going on for people to do or watch. Rick Ankeel, my guest, as a player, not as a pitcher, but as a position player, would you be opposed to wearing a mic if if you were asked to do that? No, I think it'd be fun. Do you think some players, though, get cautious because they're afraid to give something away or, you know, they might say something that is not PG rated, which is going to happen. And you would think that the truck is going to make sure that they splice it up to where they don't embarrass a player. But I don't know, man. I think it's like all bets are off. The canvas is open and you have to have buy-in from the players. I would hope that they would buy in and say, let's do it. Let's have fun with it. Yeah, listen, I know just from my experience of sometimes guys will do that on the bench. I think there is a little bit of fear of like, okay, you know, maybe you say something you shouldn't say on national TV. But it's almost like all the other guys get scared, too, because you never know what they're talking about, not thinking that anyone's listening to them um, and maybe saying something they shouldn't either. But I think it's entertaining. Was it in spring? I've seen a couple guys, maybe Freddie Freeman had a mic on for an inning or something. A few other guys, maybe. But I thought it was great. I loved it. I've been kind of critical of Scott Boris during this process. And here's here's my thought process, okay? So hear me out before you yell at me. And Ricky Ankeel was a top client of Scott Boris. Is that I think with all the leaks that have been coming out on both sides about the economics of a potential agreement, I don't know. I, I just think it's a lot of noise. I'd rather just hear from the Players Association, their head or executive committee, and I want to hear from the commissioner. And Scott clearly has got a lot invested with so many players. I mean, hell, he signed over a billion dollars worth of contracts last year. So players get cut, he gets cut. My question to you is, for the fans out there, what is it about Scott Boris that makes him such a great agent? Because there is no doubting He's an incredible agent and does everything for his players. You were one of them. What is it about him that makes him so good? I think the first thing is he works for you, and you can trust that. You know, as a player, sometimes you hear some stories here and there that maybe agents are cutting back deals with some of the teams and maybe a little friendly. You know that Scott is trying to get as much as he possibly can for you. He's fighting for you. You know, the other thing is is the the company that he's built, the support system that he has for you, for the player, is unlike any other any other agency that I've seen. I mean, you name it, they're there for you. They try to help you on every side of the game, whether it be media, off the field, in the offseason. You know, even for me, um, going through the book process, um, they helped me tremendously. Even now, going with them, kind of working on the movie stuff, if something ever comes with that. But they're there in my corner, and I would have no idea to how to go out there and, and try to sell the movie or sell the rights and all that. And I know that I can trust them and they're, they're there for the player. They really are. I'll wrap it up with this. Ricky and during spring training. And it seems like an eternity ago was doing TV with me. So we we're doing some games, but also you were in uniform and had a different role with the club and, and various roles in, as being a coach. Now that you reflect on that, you've had a chance to kind of take it in. 
Do you want to go one direction or another? Did something pique your interest as you reflect on that experience in spring training? I can tell you this. I still love both. I definitely enjoy being in uniform and being around the guys. It's just nice to get in there and, and you feel like you're a part of the team. You get to know the guys, so maybe you're not such an outcast. All the, the ton of young guys that I didn't know, right? Got a chance to say hi, shake their hand, maybe learn something about them, and vice versa. They can see me and say, okay, you know, maybe he's okay, or maybe they didn't like me. I don't know, but it was definitely good just to be down there, kind of learn the new games, the new ins and outs, everything that's going on with the analytics. So I enjoyed it. And I don't know. I can't say that I'm leaning one way or the other. I just know that I liked both and I want to be involved with the game. Absolutely. And I know the Cardinals want you involved and we want to see you back up here in St. Louis because that means we have baseball. It's always good to hear your voice. Miss seeing you, man. And, and hopefully we'll be doing some baseball sooner rather than later. And thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's Rick Ann Keel, and the text line is open 65780-65780 on the Air Comfort Service text line. Interesting to hear him talk about a sim games happening down in Florida with some of the major league players, and you don't really hear about that. You hear about guys just trying to stay sharp, whether they're in a batting cage or working out, the various things that they're trying to do to get prepared for what we all hope is a, a spring training. The Rhino Shield mic drop is uh, open for you, so mic drops are wide open. The text line wide open. This is Scoops with Danny Mack on a Thursday on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mack in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, 1041 in St. Louis. 101 ESPN presents Play Gloria. The Blues run to the Cup every Thursday and Friday night. And you can hear the replay of two classic games from the Blues, 2019 historic run to the Cup. Relive each game with added insight and behind-the-scenes commentary from Chris Kerber, Joey Vitale, Alex Ferrario. And tonight it's Blues and Bruins Game 5. Pre-game starts at 6, play-by-play at 7. Play Gloria, the St. Louis Blues run to the Cup is brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating. Man, I remember Game 5. They win and they come home with a chance to wrap up the Stanley Cup in Game 6. I went to that game, took my family, and uh, it was a disappointing game. But, hey, the way that season went, why not win it on the road? Game 7 of a Stanley Cup final. Why not? And they did. It was awesome. So, they'll have a replay of Game 5 tonight. 618 on the Air Comfort Service text line, Danny Mac absolutely loved the 10 o'clock hour. Thank you very much. Is Rick trying to come back or has he moved on? Appreciate all you do, my friend. He He's done. Um, he did try to come back. It was about this time, I'd say now 15 months removed from it. It was two summers ago that he went to what was kind of like an all-star of retired, uh, all-star presentation, if you will, of retired uh, players, and some of them were Hall of Famers. And he got on the mound, and I talked to him that night. I remember the anxiety he went through getting back on the mound, and uh, he pitched that day, and his kids saw him pitch in that game. He hit 88 to 90 on the gun. He hadn't really been on the mound, so he, he wasn't really you know, in shape to do that. And it all of a sudden gave him the idea, why not make a comeback? And as we've seen, it's a breaking ball league. He never lost his breaking ball. He'd be playing catch with guys, and they'd say, come on, man, show me the Snapdragon. Just do it, just do it. And he'd, he'd spin one off, and you'd hear the zzzz as it flipped out of his fingers and out of his hand. He still had that, and then he got up to like 94, 95. 
This is a guy that's 39, 40 years old and still throwing that hard. If he was healthy, he could do it. And the great part about that, though, and that night, and it was emotional talking to him. I, I'd done a Cardinal game. We were on the road, and I talked to him afterward. I said, man, how did it go? Uh, tell me about it. He said, I did it. I got back on the mound. I made it. He beat it. And that I get goosebumps thinking about it. I'm just so proud of him that he was able to to do that, which is just incredible. And he's a great friend, and I I love him. So appreciate him very, very much. Uh, 314, great interview. Rick is my all-time favorite. Cardinal, get emotional thinking about what could have been and what he went through in his life. Read his book, which was a New York Times bestseller. It's an absolutely amazing book in what he went through and, and just the mental aspect of trying to come back to the sport that he loved and not to say he took it for granted but he did it all his life he's 18 years old and as an 18 year old he's the best in the country maybe best in the world he would have been the number one overall pick but he was represented by scott boris and we knew there's going to be financial issues with that i did his first major league game in montreal and watched that and i people have asked me who are the best prospects you've ever seen in your time doing the Cardinals? And I'm coming up almost on 25 years. And clearly, number one is Albert Pujols. But the other one is Ricky Ankeel. And the other one would be Alex Reyes. Those are the, the three that come to mind. Oscar Tavares saw him. He wasn't great, though, in the times I saw him. But the other three were magnificent at times where you sit there and you watch them and you say, Oh, my goodness, this is different. This is not like a normal guy. This is not like the elite. These are the elite of the elite. And that's how good Ricky Ankeel was. And to see him come back and, and be a position player, I don't think the story gets enough credit. Um, they are going to try to make it into a movie eventually. And the book, again, read it and talks a lot about his personal life, his relationship with his father. His mother uh, just passed away. She had a lot of, of medical issues, not from COVID, but did have medical issues. And um, he took care of her. He's just a very caring guy. And when you watched him play or watched him pitch, you probably didn't know that. He kind of had a mean scowl to him. And there's a guy throwing 98 miles an hour and making people look silly. And he had an edge to him. And when you play, you have to have an edge. I believe that. And now that he's removed from that and is trying to move on to the next stage of his life, it's just pretty cool to see how it all has transpired for him. Read the book. It's unbelievable. 636, we were at the game that Rick lost it and it broke our hearts. Broke mine too. It was tough to watch. And it was tough to watch him try to come back. It was tough to see him uh, try to rely on different things to relax his nerves when he came back. Um, it was tough. But to see him come back as a position player and not only hit home runs, but be an athletic outfielder, that's incredible. At this day and age of sports, to see somebody actually do that is incredible. Uh, from the 573, DMAC, always a great listen. Love your guests. Ricky and Keel has always seemed like a class guy. Every time I hear him, it just reinforces my impression. I hope that fans remember what a great pitcher he was. I'd still like to see him pitch. He was that good. I agree with you. I always tell him, why don't you just get back on the mound? We're in spring training, I say. And we're in the booth together. And I said, come on. And he was in uniform a lot this spring because he's really trying to figure out what he wants to do, as he said in the interview. Do I want to coach? Do I want to be a mental coach? Should I be an outfield coach? Should I be a hitting coach? Um, should I be, you know, a guy that is a pitching coach? He could do it all. That's what makes him great in the booth. Because you could say, all right, it's a 2-2 count. What would you do here as a pitcher? Well, I'd do this. Okay, as a hitter, what are you expecting? 
well, as a hitter, I'm looking for here. I mean, what other guy could provide that kind of perspective? Nobody. It's unique. And uh, it's it's just, it's amazing. And to see him come back from where he was, lying on a couch and saying he was retired, to then coming back and showing, I mean, think about how humbling that must have been to be one of the top pitchers in baseball, one of the top young pitchers in the game. And then all of a sudden, in spring training, you can't throw a strike. You can't get it over the plate. And you're laying on your couch at your home and saying, I've quit baseball. And he was 22 maybe at the time, 23. And then to show up in the clubhouse the next day and say, yeah, I need an outfielder's glove. And here's my bat. And Jim Edmonds give him a ton of credit. Jim Edmonds pulled him aside and helped him, knowing that he could be the guy that is not going to be in center field that Rick Ankeel could be that guy and didn't take it as just a farce and, you know, hey, we're just going to try to do this to make sure he gets back on the mound. No, he, he took him under his wing and tried to help him. Uh, let's see, 6366. Uh, love, love, love the 10 o'clock hour. What's the book title? Uh, the Phenom, I believe, is the book title. Again, New York Times bestseller. He sent it to me early, and I got a chance to read it in spring training. And... Um, Brought me to brought me to tears because I know him as a human being. He's just a great dude. Six one eight. I will always remember the throws from center field to Troy Gloss. Not once, but twice. Bullets from dead center field. Best throws I've ever seen, ever, ever. And it's not even close. And he did it twice in the same game. This the thing I remember. I get goosebumps thinking about it. The thing I remember. God rest his soul is Chris Duncan. And what we and you're saying, well, why Chris Duncan? So Troy Gloss deeks the runner. He's just kind of standing there, and the runner's thinking, there's no way this guy's throwing it. No way. And he does from left center field on a fly. Boom, catches it, lays down the tag. And Chris Duncan, we had a shot from, like, the right field line. So you can see the Cardinal bench at Coors Field behind him. Chris Duncan is going wild in the dugout. The entire dugout's going crazy, but Chris Duncan starts banging the top of the dugout, like the the bar, you know, the the railing there, and and you can just see him saying, "Oh my God, you know, I can't bleep and believe that." Did you just see that? And everybody's waiting for him to come out, and Rick kind of being Rick, just kind of a little smile, a little little wink at you. One of the great moments in recent history in Cardinals baseball. I miss it. Hopefully, we're going to see it again. Air Comfort Service text line. Thanks for those. Rhino Shield mic drops. We'll get to those tomorrow. We'll cross it over with Rivs and BK next. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. I get the chance to listen to Ribs and BK. I love their show. They always have great guests. I'll start with you, BK, so don't disappoint me. What do you have coming up? How about Alex Petrangelo? Is that good enough for you? Wow. We've got Alex Petrangelo coming up at 1130. Uh, Blues analyst Joey Vitale coming up at 1215. Love Joey, too. So, I mean, you got to ask him. I mean, Alex, you coming back or what? Oh, yeah. I made the call out there. I told him that I'd buy him a couple of lunches at Applebee's if he comes back. You know, I mean, it's it's all relative to paychecks, right? You know, so. Yeah. I'm hoping that will sway him. Free agent to be. Let's see if we have hockey, but uh, the captain of the Blues, that's awesome. I, I, I don't know, man. I done a lot of thinking about him and legacy is so cool in sports right i mean it's so important and to be the captain of the team that brought the first stanley cup here and if his career continues to go in the trajectory that it is 
there's going to be a statue of him next to Al and Bernie and the greats of of blues hockey. How important is that to players? I I, I don't know. I, I I think it is, but money money dictates a lot. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but I think Petro's wired a little differently. He yeah. really is. He's got a lot of old school in him, and yeah, he doesn't want to pass up. You know, good, healthy amounts of money for his family. Like, that's not what's going to happen. But he's also very realistic in to what you said. He loves it here. His family, uh, his wife is from here. His kids are from St. Louis. Like, he's very much ingrained into this community. Yeah. And then having been the first captain in Blues history to lift the cup over his head, like, it means a lot. I, I think that that's going to really, really, really play into the negotiations here. I would think if you're going to have a statue, right? You try to make the statue like McKinnis, it's a slap shot, right? Bernie's kind of passing the puck. I think the indelible image, when I, I get goosebumps thinking about it, is the camera shot, a little bit low, kind of shooting up, and the fireworks behind oh, him yeah. and holding the cup. That, yep. to me, is the statue for Alex Petrangelo. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is he going to... This will be my final question. Do you think he... he uh, because of the economic situation for any free agent in hockey, um, do you just say, I'll take a one year and then hit the market again? Is that what the approach is for free agents? Well, I tell you what, I've been bouncing that around a lot, and BK and I talked about it on the air. That yeah, I'm calling it a bridge deal, even though the bridge deal is usually from entry-level contracts, but for lack of better words, I'll just use the word bridge. And I don't see him doing that. If he does, okay? If he does, he will definitely stay a St. Louis Blue. It'll be a two-year deal, probably see what the economic future looks like of the NHL in two years. But I think he's going to look at it and go, look, at. I'm willing to bend here. Uh, you know, St. Louis Blues, are you willing to bend a little bit? And, and let's find some kind of common ground here because I think he wants the stability with his family. And I think it's important to him to stay a St. Louis Blue. Yeah. Yesterday, we talked to Justin Bourne of The Athletic as well, Dan. And he said it's going to be a totally different landscape for free agents than what they were expecting coming into this season. So Every I sport, mean, right? Play, yeah, for, for sure every sport, but specifically in hockey. So I'll, I'll be really interested to see what that plays into this as well. It's a great show. Ribs BK, 11 until 2. A great get coming up. The captain of the St. Louis Blues, Alex Petrangelo. Colin, great job on the show. This is always fun, and I'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN.